we prepare to receive the scripture for this day, which is from the 28th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, would you stand with me and let's recite the Shema together. You'll see the words on the screen in front of you. Some of us will be holding our pinkies in the air out of reverence and respect. Let's recite it together. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I invite you to remain standing for the reading of the scripture from the 28th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, where we've been in Lent. These are the first 10 verses of that chapter. After the Sabbath, as the, at the first day of the week, uh, was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said greetings, and they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The story of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Church historian and author Phyllis Tickle taught that every 500 years, the church has a yard sale, and you and I are living through one of those yard sales. 500 years ago, we had the Protestant Reformation. 500 years before that, the split between the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church. 500 years before that, the monastics. And 500 years before that, what we are celebrating today, God raised Jesus of Nazareth from the dead. I don't know about you, but I like a good yard sale. I love a good cleaning out. It just feels good to take the time to walk through my house, to select what to get rid of, the things that are no longer useful, to thank them for how they used to bring me joy, but admit that it's no longer working for us. And then free up the space. And how great is it that we no longer have to plan for an event called a yard sale? We can just take a picture of an object that's getting in our way, that's no longer working for us, post it online, and someone will come to our house and pick it up and give us cash. That's great. If Phyllis Tickle were still alive, I'd call her up. And I would say, Phyllis, I made my pile. I set the things aside that I believe the church doesn't need anymore. The stuff that gets in my way. Shame-based theology. It's no longer helpful. It's just exerting control and hurting people. I set aside hundreds of leftover unity candles from weddings. What do I do with those? I'm setting aside proof texting and answers over good questions. 
and I'm setting aside segregated Sundays and Jesus with blue eyes. I moved all that stuff to the storage closet to be ready for the yard sale and darn it all if we didn't have an earthquake. An earthquake. I prefer for things to be nice and neat and thoughtful and organized, but please, spiritually speaking, you and I are living through something that seems like an earthquake. Now, I know that I'm not alone. This is a shift in the global church, but I experience it locally, so I can only speak from my own experience. But here's what I see in this earthquake. Friendships that were, were very pretty, but also quite fragile, have been broken. Much of the politics that was stashed away neatly in the church and closed drawers has been dumped out for everyone to examine and speculate about. And the theology books that I read in seminary, but for years of church work, I just dusted them on my shelves. Well, those books are all over my floor, and I have to decide what to keep and what to throw out. On August the 24th, 2014, at 3.20 in the morning, my husband Keith's mom and her husband were awakened by an earthquake with a magnitude of 6.0 in Napa, California. She told us that it felt like several grown men were shaking their bed, and that shaking lasted for 20 seconds. Pictures fell off the wall. Furniture and bookshelves were toppled over, and they broke Cabinet doors opened up and dumped out china and pottery and crystal, and all of it was shattered on the floor. And it's Napa. So a career in the wine industry meant that a well-stocked wine cellar suffered a big loss. 160 bottles of wine, gone in 20 seconds. There was no electricity or water for several days. The only water was coming up from busted water pipes in the street. Cleanup meant that they discarded trash that was sprinkled with the remains of treasures. Cleanup, though, was a community effort. The neighbors helped one another. Friends came over with brooms and work gloves. And she didn't say it was so, but I imagined straws to that wine cellar. Probably not. <laughs> I do know my mother-in-law well enough to know that even in a time of devastation, if people were in her home, there was probably a bit of a party. I'm especially taken by the combination of fear and joy in our scripture for this day. Fear and joy at the scene of the resurrection. The 28th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew tells us that there's a great earthquake. The ground moves, it shakes, it crumbles, and an angel with an appearance that was so startling, so bright, it stuns the guards, tells the women who followed Jesus, do not be afraid. Jesus, the one who was crucified, is not here. He is risen. Verse 8 of chapter 28 says the women leave the tomb quickly. 
They leave the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And they run to tell the disciples. Fear was mentioned four times in the ten verses that we read. And there are certainly some frightening pieces to this scene. Earthquakes and blinding bright white lights and apoplexed guards. But this is also a scene of great joy. And that certainly doesn't escape us on Easter morning. This is Resurrection Day. Jesus is who he said he was. His ways will save and restore. This is cause for great hope. It's cause for celebration. It's a new beginning. Matthew's story of Easter teaches me that times of great consequence hold together both fear and joy. And then the job of the faithful is for us to follow the path that stands in front of us, holding the two in tension, holding both fear and joy. When I look back over my life, I can see the places where I was able to hold both fear and joy. I was standing at the back of a church sanctuary one afternoon next to my father, looking toward Keith, who was standing with his brother close to the altar rail. Or there's the day that was an afternoon where I was in a delivery room in a hospital. Actually, it was a surgical room. My first child was a cesarean delivery, and I was looking over the drape to see her pretty face, but not looking far, far enough over the drape to see too much of my broken body. Fear and joy. Or when I began a new job, or any graduation about to walk across a stage, what's next? All I know in the moment is that I'm standing at that stage with fear and joy. And actually, every time I preach, you see, here's the thing. Anything that I have done of significance, I have done it involved both some trepidation and some excitement. I've done with both fear and joy. And the trick, I think, is to admit that both are present. I've often wondered about the Christian strategy that sounds like this. Maybe you've heard it. There are 366 times that the Bible says, do not fear, and so I do not fear. Well, exactly how do you do that? You just command yourself not to be afraid? I'll tell you how I think people do that. I think they do it with a heavy dose of denial. That's how. I think the wisdom is in admitting that both fear and joy can be present together and not allowing fear to take control. Not allowing fear to be the guide. Elizabeth Gilbert is an author and she says about fear, she admits that fear is in the car with her, but she doesn't let fear drive the car, and she doesn't let fear ride shotgun. She confines fear to the back seat. Daryl sent me a story this week from a book that he is reading about a young, a young warrior whose teacher told her to go do battle with fear. She didn't want to. Fear was aggressive and scary and unfriendly. But the teacher said she had to do it. 
and the teacher gave her instructions on how to do battle. The day arrived, the student warrior stood on one side and fear stood on the other. The warrior was feeling very small and fear was looking very big and wrathful. They both had their weapons. She went toward fear and she bowed down and she asked, may I have permission to go to battle with you? And fear said, thank you for showing me so much respect. Then the young warrior asked, how can I defeat you? And fear replied, my weapons are that I talk fast, I get very close to your face, and then you get unnerved and you do whatever I say. If you don't do what I tell you, I have no power. You can listen to me, you can have respect for me, you can even be convinced by me, but if you don't do what I say, I have no power. It was in that way that the student warrior learned how to defeat fear. Both Archbishop Desmond Tutu and Nelson Mandela have each written that courage is not the absence of fear, but courage is the ability to triumph over it, the ability to act in spite of fear. I listened this week to an interview with Barbara Brown Taylor. She was in our video before the scripture passage. She's written a new book, and her new book is called Holy Envy, and it's about other religions. And in the interview, she recognized that both this new book and her previous book, which was called Learning to Walk in the Dark, have similar themes. They're both about having the courage to step into something that scares you. She says, step into something that makes you say, yikes. In this last chapter of Matthew's Good News, both the angel and the resurrected Christ have similar instructions for the disciples. Did you catch it? Did you catch what they tell the women and the disciples to do? It's simple. It's just one word. It's go. Even if fear is in you, even if uncertainty is with you, go. And the very last go in the chapter, uh, in chapter 28, in the last few verses of this gospel says, go make disciples of all nations. Theologian Alexander Shia says that the group who first received this gospel, who first read it, would have found the message to go to everyone, to all nations, both revolutionary, but also terrifying. Because they were Jews, and they trusted their history. The God to whom they prayed was uniquely their God. They were God's chosen people, first among all, and it appeared that now there was no special acknowledgement so how would they go to oppressive places and at the same time surrender their privilege? Well, I have a strategy for you, a suggestion, if you will. They go together. They go with. The women go together to the disciples. The disciples go together to Galilee. And then they go with one another and the Holy Spirit into all the world. 
Now, God doesn't put limits on who the particular people can or cannot be that we go to. Matthew says all the world, all the nations, there are no limits. And if you hear God calling you to go somewhere alone, if you hear God calling you just to take off, I want you to know that's not God. That's fear. You've let fear drive your car, and that's called running away. Thomas Bandy is a church consultant of some fame. He's recently become very involved in advising United Methodists. And this week, I was particularly taken in his wisdom on discerning God's call. This is what he says discerning God's call for Christians is about. He says, God's call is never a call to just do something. It is always a call to be with somebody. It's never about just doing something, but it's always a call to be with people, the particular people for whom your heart bursts. I want to be with people. I want to be with people who have the courage to run up to graves that have been cracked open by the power of God, who look into those graves with fear and excitement. And I want to stay at those graves long enough to listen to the instruction of the blinding white light. I don't know about you, but I have no interest in putting graves back together in restoring places of death. And what this means for me is that I have to be okay with a mess. I have to be okay with a mess. I have to be okay with dirt under my fingernails. And I have to be okay with finding a new way. A new way with the help of other people. The great hope of the risen Christ is that every crucifixion can be the ground of a resurrection. Every place where we experience limitation, every place where we experience death can be a place of new life and a place of redemption. Everyone. Everything. Will you pray with me? Lord God, you are the resurrection God and you make all things new. New doesn't mean shiny. New doesn't mean perfect. New in all cases means messy first. We weren't looking for a mess. We weren't hoping for a mess. But we know. We know in our hearts, Lord, because we learn from your story that you give us what we need. We are confident in the resurrection. We are confident in you. You make all things new, each and every one of us. Amen. Let's stay.